Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Um, I had just uh, had a huge bowl of granola. I just took a huge uh, tray of granola out of the oven. I love the smell of, you know, those oats and all that stuff. Yeah. Pandemic times. No, I, who am I kidding? I was making granola before. But yeah, the rest of us, so we're all at home <laughs> making our own food. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those silly vegans that likes to make their own food. And vegan or not, I think just, you know, making your own food, it's just, it's so worth it. I know. We're all tired and that's the last thing you want to do, but try having kids and then making dinners and <laughs> making your own food. It's a lot. It's a lot to handle. Uh, yeah, the kids are getting exhausted with uh, making their own dinners and stuff. And I was just like, hate to tell you, kids, you're going to be making dinners for the rest of your life, life, life. <laughs> yeah. Joke's on them. Ah, granola is delicious and probably half the sugar is the stuff you buy in the, the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, as a Canadian who was excited to go into the States to go camping, because camping facilities in the States are quite, quite well maintained, you know, going to new places like, I don't know, Trader Joe's or other places, you're like, whoa, this is exciting. Um, but I made the mistake of buying some stuff <laughs> from there and bought some granola. And then we went camping and then tried to eat it. And I was like, is this 99% sugar? Like, uh, it was, you know, the shocking. And then the, the green, the green sauce that was supposed to be guacamole, but contained no avocados. You know, the, you have to be careful when you're buying things from stores in other yeah. countries that you're not used to. It may be something else. <laughs> but yes, sugar is the first ingredient on all American foods. Yeah, it's, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit disappointing. I mean, you know, sugar's nice and tasty. Kids these days, they like their bubble tea, but uh, bubble tea. As we get old and boring and yes. we visit the dentist and pay those dentist bills, then we realize that maybe I could do with less sugar. <laughs> I don't want to make your dentist sad. You're not making them sad. You're making them rich. So, uh, yes, so, maybe, you know, maybe that. Any any profession where you only have to work three to four days a week and you can own multiple residences, uh, there's there's a problem. <laughs> As we uh, deliver our uh, hour-long critique of the capitalist system, uh, stay tuned with us for the Mac DevOps <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, capitalism. Anyway. <laughs> what, what do we got to talk about this week, JD? What's happening? Uh, well, geez, I think you've been staying up late for uh, every world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, lots of outages this week. A little crazy. Yeah, Every World. Uh, huge uh, round of applause. Uh, congratulations to the Every World team and crew. <clears throat> what a fantastic uh, conference. Uh, it was the uh, coming together of three different conferences. Every World uh, is Create World, Dev World, X World, which is the Mac uh, device uh, management sort of track, uh, the IT track. Um, so they've always had three different conferences at three different times, but they've turned it all into a single track and it's really awesome because just the week before I was I was watching all these uh, creative sessions for Final Cut Summit um, which combined motion 3D and video editing and lots of other related things and one of the one of the speakers from Australia was was there at the Final Cut Summit talking about video editing and motion and using Procreate on your iPad to make your Final Cut videos better 
Um, and he gave a session on educational learning because the AUC, um, which is the university sort of consortium that puts on every world and all these conferences that, uh, basically giving a talk on educational learning and how to use video to deliver better uh, educational learning. So there's a lot of crossovers between these Final Cut uh, video editors and uh, and uh, every world. So yeah, big congratulations. Lots of interesting talks. The DevSec Oops was near and dear to uh, my heart. And I know you would have liked that uh, session, JD. Um, hopefully they'll post it. Um, and if they do, we'll put links up talking about what we've talked about in our book club about shifting left, moving security into the beginning of the conversation and throughout the life cycle of the apps uh, and the development. It's good to get all those teams together. So just so much good content. Uh, and they built their own streaming platform since they come out of a university. You know, they're a bunch of uh, creative, uh, nerdy tech uh, kids. And they built their own streaming platform and they integrated with Discord. So they have a whole Discord community with well-organized channels. And, um, and But uh, one of the cute things they did is they had a, a website to, for all the people that bought tickets to watch the talks. And then they had the running Discord next to it, which was kind of neat. And during uh, Charles Edge's talk, uh, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Charles Edge, there was a lot of discussion during his talk as well as other people's talks. But one somebody was posting in the channel going, how do we make the comments go away? Because I'm trying to watch the talk and everybody's like, uh, you know, <laughs> making comments, you know, or asking questions. And so, yeah, full screen made the video <laughs> full screen and the comments disappeared. But it was a neat uh, idea to surface uh, the, the chat channel in Discord uh, onto the web page so people could watch the talk and see the chat at the same time and be part of it. Very interesting. I'm, I'm taking notes. Uh, Every World Crew, uh, congratulations. Paris uh, and uh, John and uh, so many people were part of that. Uh, I can't name them all, but uh, yeah, congratulations! A huge anvil drop to you. So, so it sounds like Every World's been been a uh, a great success. Uh, we can't say as much for um, Amazonia's uh, web services uh, and and also Apple, uh, who happened to be uh, spending the last two years having apps check in with them until the server went down. Yeah, I was, uh, I noticed that I was, uh, it was a really busy day for me. I was like, just like, I think I was setting up some storage or doing something. I was just, and then I had to take a break and I needed to eat. So I sat down and like started to eat. And then I was like, oh, I'll pull up my phone. and just like doom scroll Twitter while I'm eating some quick food. And yeah, I just noticed one person's like, I'm just going to reinstall my OS one more time. This is so crap. And then someone else is like, <laughs> the next person totally unrelated people is like oh my mac is just like so slow what's going on i'm gonna do this again and i'm like uh i see a lot of people posting the same thing <laughs> um did you notice anything with your macs at that time it, well luckily i'm i'm running very very old uh operating systems that that don't spy on me but uh, uh oh, <laughs> no, I did. I did have a couple of of clients who uh, just were pulling their hair out because uh, things just weren't quite working and felt really sluggish. And uh, we just happened to, uh, you know, I'm like, well, why don't we, why don't we just like see if it's a DNS issue and let's just pull you off the network real quick. And as soon as they disconnected from the the Wi-Fi. Uh, you know, things started working again and it's like, huh, it was weird. But, and then, and then later, you know, folks discovered that, uh, it was that, that OCSP, uh, server that, that Apple that was down that, that, uh, uh, signature checking, uh, uh, I guess it relies on this server. 
to exist. And, and basically it's fine. If it can't find it, it's just like, Oh, I guess everything's fine. We'll just move on. But, uh, if it, <laughs> uh, if it can't reach it, it, uh, apparently, uh, locks up an entire system. Yeah, I didn't notice any problems on my end, but I did notice that everybody else was having issues and it was quite widespread uh, around the world. And uh, Jeff Johnson, uh, Lapcat software on uh, on uh, Twitter, who's uh, quite vocal and expresses himself about many issues which need expressing about Apple. And, and he noticed that with the, because uh, he was pulling his hair out, I think as well, and he noticed with a little snitch that it was trying to reach the OC uh, SP server and the service. And so just by disabling that, and I know he had posted at one point just to, to put, uh, you know, local host in your Etsy host file or, uh, you know, try to uh, to to uh, block that uh, your Mac from going to that or just uh, pulling your plug, your Internet plug completely uh, helped. But, yeah, I wonder how many people yeah. are going to have their Etsy hosts <laughs> file that's, that's going to be like stuck forever right. with this bad entry. Which is, you know, scary in 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 one sense and that signature checking basically isn't happening anymore. Uh, if you've done that, but also, you know, again, we are relying on, you know, this one little, little stick is holding up the entire framework of, of all of Apple, right? This one, one little server uh, is, is controlling all of that. Well, I'm sure it's not a Mac mini sitting on a shelf somewhere, but no, I'm I'm sure it's probably a a G five X serve. <laughs> probably weren't running web objects knowing our luck it's interesting uh just still have that reliance on on phoning home well signature checking uh and phoning home yeah i mean uh, this is not et uh phoning home this is uh your mac uh, checking the signatures and uh, this is a huge topic for a <laughs> like a multi-hour uh uh, podcast session with multiple uh, people to chime in on this. Yeah, people actually do do signing and and signature checking and and things that we don't do. Even though we, yeah. I do sign packages every once in a while, just because it's a lot easier to get people to double click on things when the system says we don't know who who gave this to you. We're not going to let you do this. Yeah, I mean, signing and notarizing software is Apple's attempt to verify origin and. Uh, that apps are who they say they are and from no known developers it's definitely not a perfect system as we have known in the past through you know other uh, frailties and difficulties uh, number one figuring out how to sign number mm-hmm. two getting a dev you know signature you know uh, that you have to pay for and then notarizing how to figure out how to notarize and and of course now yes it has to check in with the system but there's also that stapling thing that came with notarization where if you are off the network it would have the information there but i don't think everything quite everything is notarized so uh or stapled even so really not stapled especially if you're you're building stuff on the fly i i doubt that you're you're waiting around to the, to then staple that that package installer uh, when i built an ios app a long time ago a couple of years ago and uh, just trying to figure out the certs and all that and it's, it's quite a lot of steps. And then, you know, uh, it, they've made it a lot easier over the years, I've noticed. Um, but it's still kind of difficult. It took me a little while to figure out the notarization and a lot of Mac admins are figuring it out a lot at the same time. So that helps when you're all working on and salt, trying to trudge through the same problems. I know that, uh, yeah, for a while there, I wasn't able to notarize anymore. And I kept sending messages into Apple support and they're just like, oh, yeah, just send us more information. Uh, and I'm like, I already sent you the information. Here's like what's going on when I try to notify. So you're, the, the ecosystem's gotten a little bit more complicated. And you're, uh, 
you know, some some developers, and I'm not a developer, just an IT that wants to sign and notarize. You know, it can if if something's not working, then you're at the mercy of the, their support system. Well, and 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 Apple's been doing some questionable things, like uh, giving uh, you know MacKeeper uh, an entitlement. You know. <laughs> <laughs> where yeah, yeah security re- researchers can't even can't even get that i think thomas reed uh, brought that up uh and pointed that out uh on on the uh, the tweeter a while ago but yeah it's just a little crazy that that a known piece of malware is getting endpoint entitlements <laughs> yeah the whole the whole communication uh stream with apple sometimes can be a little difficult and how to get entitlements, whether it's for security uh, or uh, system extensions, or I know I had a developer that wanted uh, entitlements just to do snapshots on APFS, and just being able to talk to Apple sometimes is not the easiest, uh, and it's not the most obvious sometimes. Um, yeah, it's it's a, yeah. I, I think the issue with OCSP and everyone's like, oh, Apple's spying on us. I mean, that's taking it a little too far. Apple's doing their best to try and verify software and keep things as secure as possible. Sure. And in this world of enterprise management of computers, we have to live with MDM, which it all goes back to Apple anyway. So, um, yeah, this is the universe you're in, and I don't know how you're going to get around it unless you're cutting all the cables of all the internet so i don't know well and it's a universe created by humans and we humans are fallible so therefore the system is is fallible as as much as they try to make it a perfect system uh you know it was perfect for two years and i don't see it as spying it 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 is literally like you open this package and we want to or this application we want to verify the signature on it the whole process is just sending a checksum to say, hey, does this checksum match? Uh, and if it does, then things work. But when that system breaks down, yeah, they stop working. Yeah, and all you can do, I mean, it's not all you can do, but all you can do is just keep on checking that status page and you hope that that status page is not on AWS. Um, as AWS has had their own huge failure. I, m- I remember a couple of years ago when the AWS East region had a failure and their status pages were on AWS East. Um, so, um, yeah, maybe uh, put your status page somewhere else than where your services are. But, yeah, they're having a huge outage uh, with their Kinesis server, Kinesis data streams, but uh, and maybe a bunch of other stuff. But, yeah, the AWS page looks like uh, Christmas came early with lots of red and green lights. Lots of red and green lights. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Apple's page uh, not too long ago was, uh, was was suffering quite the same as well. So um, hug ops, big hugs to everybody working behind the scenes in the data centers. And, True story. And the home offices around the world trying to sort out these issues. Um, there's a lot of complications <laughs> in software and hardware that overlap. And we just hope it's not a... Kubernetes container into a Docker container into a VM into uh, Hardiness, <laughs> the layers and layers of software. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had uh, our local provider here is Comcast, and and uh, we kind of got a one-two punch uh, this last week. We had a major outage, uh, which took out all of my businesses, and and right now with the current uh, restrictions of uh, like my restaurants are are uh, having to do online ordering only, and then uh, like just contactless pickup and, and things like that when your internet goes down it's very hard to do online ordering so uh you know luckily we plan for this and have backup lte type services to to get them back online but uh, 
your customers are also get kicked offline when when all of the internet goes down, or at least the service major service provider uh, in the area goes down. And then uh, the uh, the icing on the cake there was uh, them coming back and saying we're going to put a 1.2 terabyte uh, cap monthly cap on home service. So as we look forward to probably another year of work from home. Uh, our home users are capped for how much data they can actually use. Oh, wow. Uh, yes, capitalism, democracy, freedom to use the Internet. I don't know. I know the Internet is worse there in Canada, but uh, <laughs> we, we uh, subscribe to services that, that hate us. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's not a guaranteed right uh, here in Canada either, and especially in you know rural areas and... Um, well, that's true here in the in the states as well. I mean, despite the uh, the idea in certain countries and places that uh, private enterprise uh, is is there to uh, serve us uh, serve us all in our time of need, uh, I come more from the camp that our governments uh, and <laughs> are there to ensure that we have the infrastructure we need, whether it's a telephone or basic access to water and electricity and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we need to add. Wait, what's a telephone? <laughs> we need to add internet access to as a guaranteed right. And then we need to make sure that we all have access to the internet because there's so much that we need to access these days, you know, from community groups, neighborhood groups to government websites and information, important information. So we hope that our, all our governments work harder to ensure that we all have access to uh, the internets. Yeah. Because Starlink's going to be a few few years out still, as as awesome as as that appears to be. Yeah, ingenuity and uh, enterprise uh, always coming up with really cool solutions, um, but uh, can't let our governments abdicate their responsibility to look after their people. I know with varying degrees of success in other countries, but uh, I, we we have to have higher expectations of what our governments can do. But that's that's coming from me, and uh, yeah, you know we have free healthcare, so free internet. Free the internets. Free the internets. At least basic internet should be available to everyone. I mean, you got websites on uh, city hall meetings and, you know, pandemic information. And how are people going to access these things? How are people going to make bookings or meetings? And uh, I was reading on, uh, on Twitter somewhere, somebody was mentioning that a lot of people would come in and try and print off really important information in certain government offices. Uh, and, you know, they had no access to anything. So they had to go there to print stuff off and they had no idea. There are people that don't have printers and computers and, and need help. Yeah, so. I was going to say, how many people still have printers anymore? Yeah. Because we had, for a little while, they had a, that uh, that you had to have a fresh paper menu for, for each customer uh, instead of reusing uh, menus because somehow a plastic-coated, laminated uh, uh, menu couldn't be wiped down with sanitizer for some reason. Oh. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, they they didn't have a printer. They hadn't printed anything in years, so they they got rid of the printer that they used to have. And now we were scrambling to find you know a fairly high speed laser printer so they could print off menus at the last minute. So yeah, who owns a printer anymore? Yeah, it just doesn't. Who owns seem a like... scanner anymore? You can take pictures with your phone, and and the the scanner app in in the Notes app on the iPhone is spectacular. Yeah, the documents function in Notes yeah. is awesome for that. Yeah, so many so many people have requested me that because I, I must be the local computer guru or something. But everyone's like, "Can you can I can you scan these things for me?" I'm like, "I'm just going to take a picture of it with my phone. I do not have a scanner anymore. <laughs> right. um, the document scanner in Notes uh, it it perfectly sizes your document. It does a great job, and 
So I've had to, uh, I've, I've saved myself a lot of uh, visits from people. Thankfully, in these pandemic times, I'm just like, nope, just take a picture with your phone. Do not come to my house. I do not have a scanner. And, uh, yeah, I know. I For, for larger jobs, I've used uh, the Fine Scanner, uh, which is pretty spectacular as well. And that does, uh, has built-in OCR capability or optical character reading uh, as well. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting to, to see the uh, adaption and adoption of technology. Uh, you know, as we we continue down these roads and and just seeing cool things like every world changing. I mean, really uh, revolutionizing. Uh, you know, how to put on a live conference and have that that conversation uh, while it's going on. Yes, indeed. Just thinking of uh, another uh, Twitter sort of interaction I had. Um, Emily uh, who's in Sweden right now, I believe. She uh, moved there and is tackling a new job, and so often posting cool experiences in this uh, new job, new country. And uh, uh, she had posted about, uh, had some issues with a, a SQL backup not working and not noticing for many months later. And, you know, my sympathy uh, goes out to her and everybody else because we've been in that position before where we set up a backup and maybe to our chagrin, we find out later it doesn't work. And yeah, so it was an interesting discussion back and forth. And, you know, how, how do you how do you do backups? You know, how do you do how do you verify these backups? How do you restore? How do you how do you test? I mean, I don't know, it's a topic near and dear to my heart, <laughs> backups, <laughs> restores and all that. And, and they've hit, hit us all in different ways and different things. I mean, when, when you're talking about a, a video file for an editor, it's just like, hey, can you get that movie file or that text file or audio file? And I just restored something from March that was on my backup system. It was nowhere to be found on any of the, the sort of near line systems. And finally, I found it on tape and it wasn't where they said it was, but, it, you know, the file name. And it was like a voiceover they did in March. And, you know, just a tiny little file, but, you know, they couldn't redo it. They couldn't get that person back in. And these, right. these, these backups and restores are important because, you know, you may not be able to recreate that data. And, but, uh, I mean... That one, that one was an easy one, but you know, when you're talking about like a backups of a of an important system, or you're talking about your software as infrastructure, I mean, I back up my monkey and auto package and all these infrastructures and document how to put them back. But how do you test a full outage, right? How do you test a full system restore? <laughs> you know, these get these things these things get more complicated uh, when you're when you're uh, talking about um, what you're backing up. Is it the system itself? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Bare metal restores are, are definitely uh, probably the biggest challenge, right? Uh, it, it is a little different uh, as we move more and more things into the cloud. But but that, you know, when when somebody like Amazon has an outage and your SaaS provider is hosting off of Amazon, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, how are you going to handle that? What are your options uh, to to move to another service, or you know, are you are you investigating uh, whether or not your SaaS provider is uh, using something like Amazon, at least West Coast and East Coast, or or uh, Microsoft's Azure? Has to be said with a French accent. Azure. Azure, uh, or uh, B two, or or what have you, uh, for uh, for data location and, and hosting, right? I mean, often I see uh, coming from I don't know quasi enterprise, uh, you know, media and entertainment, large storage, and I see small business or medium sized business that gets uh, these NASs, which are great products, QNAP, Synology, other, but you know, they they think that they're expensive, <clears throat> and some of them are a little bit more pricier than others, but I. I always tell them you have to get at least two of them. And they're like, what do you mean two? 
well, if one dies, what are you going to (laughs) do? So, I mean, you get a Synology or a QNAP or another NAS or a small server, you can back up the data somewhere. Uh, What happens in that server or NAS dies? What are you doing? Like, are you backing up that NAS to an identical other copy somewhere else? Um, That would be great. Then you could just, you know, hot spare, hot swap, you know, um, go back to normal. Or are you waiting for a a return to manufacture RMA, you know, um, situation? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is interesting because I've done this as well, where I presented, you know, you should buy to QNAP uh, for, mm-hmm. for the solution. And, and they're just like, why? Why We only need the one. And like, <laughs> But if you look at how much this costs you versus what it used to cost to put, you know, a rack system in, all the servers, all the, you know, everything that went along with that, your tape drive for backup and, and all of that, that that went with it, you know, we were we were spending easily hundred thousand dollars on on that and nobody would blink an eye at it but now that you say well i want to spend five thousand dollars on a on a solid storage solution for you that has redundancy they're like geez that sounds like a lot of money (laughs) yeah yeah and and (laughs) your labor is the most expensive thing there and you can't get that data back that you're you're basically storing labor right it's almost like storing energy yeah i mean i still live with a huge crash we had of a sand a long time ago and it took you know a month uh, of labor to recreate the data and luckily we were able to um because we had you know basically like a treasure map that was the one thing that was backed up you know (laughs) but you know it's not always the case that you can you know uh, restore that stuff i remember talking to some adventure editors or adventure you know uh sports video people and they were jumping out of helicopters and i'm like are you gonna be able to get that helicopter again are you gonna be able to go back to that place and you know you can't recreate that also there's the fact that what if your business stops <laughs> you know you can't you, nobody can work yeah what if your your servers are down yeah nobody can work yeah what if you can't take orders what if you can't you know take the money I, that's where i first noticed that aws outage like one of my favorite uh, vendors post lab they were just like, ah, oh, yeah, we can't really take your orders right now because our payment processor is sitting on top of AWS and that's not working right now. So that's costing people money. <laughs> you know, people yeah. can't buy yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, and people are trying to buy stuff. When I had the the retail, you know, we would we would always encourage an external backup drive, at least set up Time Machine, right, and and do it that way. And and my my story was always, you know, you can't make Sally and Timmy go back and be two years old again and take their picture. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So you know, do you want to hold on to those memories or do you just not care? I, I always had those few customers that would bring their computer in and bring the drive still in the box that we sold with the computer. You know, not two, three years prior, and their internal hard drive had failed. And like, well, did you ever back this up? Oh, no, you never took the external drive out of the box and plugged it into the computer. So no, you did not. Yeah, and we can save, uh, you know, hopefully our customers a lot of money when you move to the cloud and turn that capital expenditure into operational expenditure. You still got to back it up. You still got to back it up or put it in a different region. I mean, if you're not putting stuff in different regions, then, you know, you have an outage in one region in one data center, then that could be the game over, you know, or, um, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. What can we say? There's a lot of lessons to be learned and we're continuously being reminded of them, aren't we? Life. And if anything, you should plan on, you know, routinely uh, seeing if you can restore data. I I tried to do this uh, quarterly. It's gotten a little tougher here, but 
you know, we always try and, and see if we can restore a, a, a random chunk of data uh, out of the backup and see how well that works. And if you have the the bandwidth and the budget to, to do a full bare metal restore, then, you know, I, I highly encourage that. You will definitely see the weaknesses in, in your uh, strategies that you've put together. But really, it all comes down to documentation uh, at the end is documenting where everything is and what what your plan of attack is going to be to get things back on online. And, you know, what are the most important things to to get back online first and then uh, and then go down the line from there. You've lived through this before, JD, and you're a smart person. I've earned a lot of gray hairs. (laughs) 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 Restoring data as people pace frantically next to you going are you going to get that back did you find all the files yeah yes just please go go sit down have a cup of coffee it'll be fine we have we 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 did our our job so so your data is here um and your downtime is minimized so (laughs) take a deep breath you are the calm person that's helping them so i didn't used to be but you know years of (laughs) of being beaten down i mean of doing this uh you know (laughs) <laughs> it makes you just be like, yeah, you know, it's going to take some time. My my job at the end of the day is to watch a progress bar. So uh, that's what I'm doing. It's watching that progress bar. <laughs> I saw a great T-shirt uh, posted online uh, on Twitter by uh, Charity Majors, uh, CEO of uh, Honeycomb. It's a great shirt that said, nines don't matter if your uh, users aren't happy. So people talk about these. Was it triple nines, quadruple nines, like the level of uptime? Uptime, yeah. So if your uptime is good and no one's happy, then what the heck are you doing these things for? So um, it's a good shirt to remind people. You got to wear that and remind people that you know uptime is not the most important metric, uh, but happiness is, or users that can get their work done is. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're all for the cool, cute t-shirts. I'm here for them. I'm here for you. Well, you know, our jobs would be easy if it weren't for for the users. Oh, wait. <laughs> I, I do keep telling my uh, <laughs> uh, video editors uh, to stop filling the storage. And they look at me with strange, strange eyes. And they're like, what? What do you mean? Don't fill it. But we just, we have the storage. I'm like, yes, don't fill it all. Don't fill it all. <laughs> <laughs> Bad things may happen. The the M1 Max are uh, are definitely impressive uh, as we see more and more uh, metrics and and teardowns and side by sides. I I think Apple really has kind of stepped up Moore's law almost uh, in a way that's going to be interesting to see uh, what other chips come come along uh, as they uh, flesh out the the Apple Silicon in the rest of their line as well. Well, I wanted to do, uh, try something uh, new uh, on the podcast. I put a quiz, a su- super, super awesome, super fun quiz. Stump the JD or? Exactly. Uh, well, I want to throw these questions out for the, the rest of our podcast listeners. Okay. Uh, we'll have some handy uh, prizes. If you can get, uh, send us your answers to these questions in and uh, win a uh, Mac DevOps t-shirt, or uh, we can uh, send out a uh, DevOps for Dummies book by uh, Emily Freeman. Uh, these are cool prizes just in time for Christmas. Or have, have them tweet at the, the Mac DevOps uh, or reach out through the website. You can uh, email hello at mdoyvr.com or tweet us uh, all your um, good positive comments and send all the negative comments to DevNull. But um, <laughs> how many new M1 Mac models are there? Question number one. Get out your 
pen and paper or your notes app on your phone. Question one, how many M1 Macs, Mac models are there? How many are there available that you can buy? Second question, how long does it take an M1 Mac to unzip Xcode? This has come out to be a very important benchmark for all is, our yeah. iOS uh, and macOS developers out there. Use your Google Foo. How long, question number two, how long does it take an M1 Mac to unzip Xcode? This has become an important life, life-changing metric. Um, question number three, what is the coolest thing about the M1 Mac? And the answer can be anything you want. I was going to say the fan. The fan, oh. no fan. Oh. oh, right, there is no fan in the air. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the the teardowns of the air are quite impressive. Uh, I I kind of expected, you know, really a convergence in logic boards, but uh, Apple didn't do that between the Pro, the Air, and the uh, the the Mac Mini. Uh, it, it it literally is uh, three separate product lines still, and and very much uh, engineered differently, but but the same, right? And the performance of Rosetta, I mean, this is Rosetta V2 version 2. They had a Rosetta when uh, they first moved to Intel Max uh, to translate their PowerPC code. Now Rosetta can handle Intel code. And it's amazing how well it is doing. And people are saying that apps are running faster in translation. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen metrics of 70 to 80%. So that that's how fat, you know, what what the hit is, is 20, 20, maybe 30 percent of the speed of the code. But but the M1 processor is so much faster that, yeah, the app is still performing faster than on the Intel platform, which is just crazy. So if you're using an M1 Mac, what apps are you using and what are you waiting for? I know some people were posting that Premiere was not working uh, very well because it's not optimized, um, taking like 20 times longer to export video, while Final Cut, of course, is insanely fast. And their new version didn't have a lot of new features, but was just, well, we just translated it to be a universal binary, just. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Resolve and Final Cut work well. I heard other people saying that certain Python modules like NumPy weren't ported as of this recording and so is there something that you need or use that isn't ported yet are you waiting for that universal binary of python or go or something what do you need on the m1 mac that we don't have yet um, or are you perfectly happy to live in a super fast arm world <laughs> i want to test uh, running final cut 7 in uh, an emulation i i only need in sort of like a, a, Ro- a rosetta stone of translation because for me archiving uh, means restoring or restoring means archiving uh, want to be able to get old projects and since we don't have all the time in the world to to restore every single thing and translate every project but need either an old piece of hardware or it'd be nice to have like an aquarium fishbowl environment where you could have you know an old version like final cut 7 running not to use for production but just to be able to translate that project back into something that people use today like the new final cut so yeah because you're just not going to take the time to to upgrade all of your projects that are already in the can and already done just because apple or adobe have moved on yeah i mean that's a sort of a uh something that we don't talk about enough perhaps but it's, it's on the minds of archivists and people that back things up it's like restoring them is, is definitely better than backing them up but then 
once you have something restored, can you read that format? <laughs> you know, so yeah. we have lots of incompatible storage formats. We have lots of incompatible file formats and finding, you know, restoring a file. Like if you restored a Final Cut 7 project, you need Final Cut 7 to read it. And then in my case, it's they read it and then export an XML. And then you have to translate that into the new kind of XML and then get Final Cut new, Final Cut 10 to read it. Um, so it can be a process to translate file formats and you sometimes need old OSs and old software. <laughs> See, it feels like a Rube Goldberg machine. It does. Yeah. And <laughs> someone had made that really cool software. Um, I, I put up a blog post on it, but it, we used uh, to get uh, Final Cut 7 to run on a 1014 Mac, but uh, you can't run it any later than that. So, you know, these eventually even really cute hacks and cool tricks don't always work. So either keep like a, a long series of machines to translate different physical formats to different new formats. Like, okay, this one's got a DVD player. This one's got a Blu-ray player. This one has the, the you know, the zip, the zip drive or the jazz drive. And then you have to like read that old format and then, then have something that translates. I remember, what was that? Not word perfect, but there was that old uh, Apple works format. I mean, people oh, yeah, the Apple really works weird, format. Yeah. yeah really it, weird which formats. is still supported in, in pages and numbers, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, so it was difficult. <laughs> it was difficult, but <laughs> just to translate, <laughs> I think in uh, iWorks 09, boy, I'm showing my age here. Uh, they added the support to, to import uh, Apple works documents and, and, spreadsheets and i think actually the the uh, powerpoint type equivalent but the databases could not be imported but there is an older version of filemaker that will i think filemaker 6 will still import appleworks databases so yeah yes now you're building another rube goldberg machine yeah, I remember, you know, decades ago, someone in university, one of the education profs had like, uh, had an old Apple II that you could put a five and a quarter floppy in, and then you could translate it to a five and a quarter, like, uh, PC, and then you could take it to a Mac, and it was like a long series of, you had to put it in here, and then get this thing out, and then to get, the, you know, just to yeah. get a file. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I feel sadness for all the archivists and, you know, national archives, uh, state archives, provincial archives, wherever people are archiving old <laughs> computers and formats and drives and let alone all the people that have all their, you know, backups on CDs or DVDs or Blu-rays and check check your stuff. It may not be there. <laughs> well, that cyanide is turning black and, and that data is slowly disappearing. Let's uh, all rally together and help each other out and contribute uh, knowledge and share. Um, so, yeah, we can build some good things together. If you want to sponsor the Mac DevOps podcast, uh, just give us a shout at hello at mdoyvr.com. We'll be accepting sponsorships for the podcast and for the next year's conference. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps, YVR, The Conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor, thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor. Simple MDM, our silver sponsor. And Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts, Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. You're a, a humongous asset. Does that sound even good? I mean, you're a humongous <laughs> asset. I mean, a huge <laughs> asset.